Moroni Chapter 1 Moroni had now spent nearly 35 hazardous, lonely years since the terrible slaughters of the Nephites at Cumorah. We learn this from Moroni chapter 10, verse 1. Moroni seems to be rather amazed that he has survived this long. He says he dare not allow the Lamanite to know of his existence or they would mobilize an army and hunt him down until he was captured and killed. After he had completed his summary of the history of the Jaredites, Moroni says, Now I, Moroni, after having made an end of abridging the account of the people of Jared, I had supposed not to have written more, but I have not as yet perished, and I make not myself known to the Lamanites, lest they should destroy me. For behold, their wars are exceedingly fierce among themselves, and because of their hatred, they put to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. Apparently the Lamanites were fighting among themselves to determine which of the tribes would set up a military dictatorship over the rest of the people. In the process, they were hunting down every light-skinned individual to determine whether they were Nephites, and if so, to make certain that they had denounced the Christ. And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. Wherefore I wander whithersoever I can for the safety of mine own life. Moroni testifies that he would never deny the Christ, and so it is a matter of life and death to avoid an encounter with any of the Lamanite marauding bands which are continuously wandering across the land. Wherefore I write a few more things, contrary to that which I had supposed, for I had supposed not to have written any more. But I write a few more things that perhaps they may be of worth unto my brethren, the Lamanites, in some future day, according to the will of the Lord. When we realize that Moroni had recorded the entire prophetic history of the world as seen by the brother of Jared, and appreciate that he has also written a summary of the history of the Jaredites, it is understandable why Moroni thought his compiling of records was finished. However, the more he thought about it, the more he realized that there were some very important matters that had not yet been set forth as guidelines for the Lamanites and Gentiles when the gospel was restored in the latter days. He therefore resolved to record these important details so they would be available to the members of the church in the latter days. Moroni chapter 2 As Moroni reflected on all of the history he had written, he continued to remember certain details that needed to be clarified or added to the text. One of these was concerning the bestowal of the Holy Ghost by the Nephite Twelve. At the conclusion of the Savior's first appearance among the Nephites, he had touched each of the twelve disciples, but the people did not know what he had said to them. In Third Nephi chapter 19, verse 37, Mormon promised to give more details concerning this at a later time, but apparently Moroni felt his father had not fulfilled this promise before he died. Therefore he said, The words of Christ, which he spake unto his disciples, the twelve whom he had chosen as he laid his hands upon them, 
And he called them by name, saying, Ye shall call on the Father in my name, in mighty prayer. And after ye have done this, ye shall have power that to him upon whom ye shall lay your hands, ye shall give the Holy Ghost. And in my name shall ye give it, for thus do mine apostles. Now Christ spake these words unto them at the time of his first appearing, and the multitude heard it not, but the disciples heard it, and on as many as they laid their hands fell the Holy Ghost. Moroni affirmed that Jesus had given each of the twelve Nephite disciples the authority to confer the Holy Ghost. Then he confirmed that all those upon whom they laid their hands did indeed receive the Holy Ghost and its gifts. Moroni chapter 3 Moroni also felt that the record did not set forth enough details concerning the responsibility of the elders of the church to ordain the priests and teachers of the Aaronic order and prepare them to teach the gospel. Therefore Moroni wrote, The manner which the disciples, who were called the elders of the church, ordained priests and teachers, after they had prayed unto the Father in the name of Christ, they laid their hands upon them and said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I ordain you to be a priest, or if he be a teacher, I ordain you to be a teacher, to preach repentance and remission of sins through Jesus Christ by the endurance of faith on his name to the end. Amen. Notice that there was no authority conferred on the priests and teachers to perform any ordinances. They simply conferred upon them the authority to preach repentance and the remission of sins. And after this manner did they ordain priests and teachers according to the gifts and callings of God unto men. And they ordained them by the power of the Holy Ghost which was in them. Whenever authority was conferred upon the elders of the church, it was done by the, quote, power of the Holy Ghost, unquote. This meant that the Holy Ghost was the confirming authority which ratified the ministry of these servants of God. As it says in another place, quote, By the water ye keep the commandments, by the Spirit ye are justified, and by the blood ye are sanctified, unquote. This is from Moses 6 and 60. This scripture clearly emphasizes the important function of the Holy Ghost in confirming priesthood functions. Moroni chapter 4. Moroni was very anxious that the administration of the sacrament was exactly the way the Lord had dictated it. Therefore, we read... The manner of their elders and priests administering the flesh and blood of Christ unto the church. And they administered it according to the commandments of Christ. Wherefore we know the manner to be true. And the elder or priest did minister it. And they did kneel down with the church and pray to the Father in the name of Christ, saying, Notice that those who administer to the sacrament are to kneel with the people. They are not to be on some high ramiumptum similar to the Zoramites. And this is the prayer that they are to pronounce. O God, 
the Eternal Father. We ask Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of Thy Son, and witness unto Thee, O God the Eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son, and always remember him, and keep his commandments which he hath given them, that they may always have his Spirit to be with them. Amen. Now Moroni chapter 5. As with the blessing on the bread, the priesthood are to follow the same simple procedure in administering to the wine or water. The Lord says the ingredients of the sacrament are not important so long as it is done with an eye single to the glory of God and in remembrance of the suffering of Jesus and the shedding of his blood. This is set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 27, verse 2. And now Moroni furnishes the prayer of the water or the wine, which must be recited exactly as it was revealed by the Savior. The Manner of Administering the Wine Behold, they took the cup and said, O God, the Eternal Father, we ask Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this wine to the souls of all those who drink of it, that they may do it in remembrance of the blood of thy Son, which was shed for them, that they may witness unto thee, O God the Eternal Father, that they do always remember him, that they may have his Spirit to be with them. Amen. Moroni chapter 6. Moroni knew from experience that the downfall of the church in any age usually began with unworthy people being allowed to be baptized and admitted to the kingdom when they were not either prepared or worthy to be baptized. He therefore began by outlining those who are worthy to be baptized and those who are not. And now I speak concerning baptism. Behold, Elders, priests, and teachers were baptized, and they were not baptized, save they brought forth fruit, meat, that they were worthy of it. Every candidate for membership in the church should be judged by the fruit of his or her daily life. This should be the primary factor in determining whether or not a candidate is worthy for membership in the church. Neither did they receive any unto baptism, save they came forth with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and witnessed unto the church that they truly repented of all their sins. The next criteria is the presence of humility. A person is not ready for admission to membership in the church unless he or she has a broken heart and a contrite spirit. A broken heart is recognition that human judgment is frail and must never be allowed to prevail over the expressed will of our Heavenly Father. And none were received unto baptism, save they took upon them the name of Christ, 
having a determination to serve him to the end. Now we learn one of the hard lessons of membership in the church. Each person who enters the pathway of salvation must endure to the end or they cannot be saved. This does not mean that a person cannot stumble or make an occasional mistake because that's the very nature of the second estate. But it does mean that a mature member of the church will admit that they have stumbled and return to the straight and narrow path. Furthermore, they will be determined to endure and abide in the pathway of righteousness and not allow themselves to become indifferent, disobedient, or inactive members of the church. And after they had been received unto baptism, and were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the church of Christ, and their names were taken that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and the finisher of their faith. This is the fellowshipping verse. It is what the Lord expects of the members of the church when new converts come into their midst. It is the responsibility of the bishop, the home, and the general membership of each ward to help new converts progress in their knowledge and adherence to the good word of God. They should socialize with them and help them keep in the right way, encourage them to pray and become Christ-like. And the church did meet together oft to fast and to pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. It is very important to remain active in the church, to meet together often, partake of the sacraments, study the gospel and the individual doctrines of the church, and learn to be teachers and missionaries in spreading the good news of the gospel as required by the Lord. And they did meet together oft to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. It is important to continually renew the covenants of baptism by partaking of the sacrament and forcing the mind to reflect on mistakes which may have occurred so that there can be an appeal to the Lord to forgive these offenses and help each member overcome their weaknesses so they will not be repeated. This is what the Lord calls, quote, maintaining forgiveness, unquote, from one sacrament service to another. And that's found in Mosiah chapter 4, verse 16. We don't talk about, quote, maintaining, unquote, forgiveness as much as we probably should. That's why many people neglect their sacrament services without realizing that they are not getting their covenants renewed and their sins forgiven. And they were strict to observe that there should be no iniquity among them. And whoso was found to commit iniquity, and three witnesses of the church did condemn them before the elders, and if they repented not and confessed not, their names were blotted out, and they were not numbered among the people of Christ. In the Lord's kingdom, there is a procedure for dealing with members who are guilty of more serious offenses. Notice the desire of the Lord to have three witnesses if possible. It is so easy to have people accusing one another of various offenses, 
But before action is taken, the church should seek to have three witnesses to testify concerning the offense. Then a loving concern for the offender should be exercised, so the offense will not be repeated, and the offender will feel a true desire to repent. In those cases where there is a stubborn resistance by the offender and repentance is not forthcoming, then the presiding authority must warn the offender that his name is being removed from the membership records of the church. But as oft as they repented and sought forgiveness, with real intent they were forgiven. But so long as an individual is trying to overcome weaknesses and repenting of his or her sins, The Lord commands that they must be forgiven, even if they have to repent over and over again. In other words, the Lord doesn't give up on the precious souls of his children, and neither should we. And their meetings were conducted by the church after the manner of the workings of the Spirit, and by the power of the Holy Ghost. For as the power of the Holy Ghost led them whether to preach or to exhort, or to pray, or to supplicate, or to sing, even so it was done. Each worship service should be conducted according to the dictates of the Spirit. In this verse, the saints are encouraged to use the testimony meeting to express their feelings, bearing their testimonies, giving expressions of thanksgiving, singing songs, and making supplication to the Lord in prayer. We hope you're enjoying this podcast by W. Cleon Skousen. To find additional books and recordings on this and other topics, please visit skousenlibrary.com.